Hey everyone, back again. Today I want to talk about something new, but something I just I think about all the time. That's a, an exaggeration. But I want to talk to you about the philosophy of chess. And the reason I want to is because it is profoundly interesting. Specifically, I want to tell you about Jean Baudrillard's ideas about chess that he wrote in the mid-90s, which aren't all totally relevant today, but I want you to let me know if you do find them relevant today and in what ways you find them relevant today. It helps if you have a basic knowledge of chess, but you don't need to have that at all. Now, before jumping into it, hi, I'm David. I explain philosophical concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new here, like, share, subscribe. We'll see videos on that stuff every single week, sometimes twice a week. Won't that be divine? That'd be so fun. If you want to follow me anywhere other than here, you can find me on all other social media, Links in the description if you want to help me out. Do all those things I mentioned. Like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. Who knows? Maybe this will expand their chess knowledge. Maybe this will expand their philosophical horizons. Maybe I have a very soothing voice that'll help people go to sleep if they struggle to sleep. All of those things might be true. Yeah, if you want to help me out monetarily, you can do that via Patreon or PayPal, but no pressure. Let's jump into now Jean Baudrillard's writing on chess that he wrote in the mid-90s, and he was writing at the time, or just after, Garry Kasparov had defeated the chess engine named Deep Blue. So, to give you a little context, Garry Kasparov was the best chess player in the world in the mid-90s, and IBM produced a chess computer that they claimed could beat the best human. And so this moment was a test for humanity in a lot of ways. It was to pose the question, have humans been eclipsed? Have they been really taken over, surpassed by their creations, by their technologies, by their tools? Now it might seem to you, you might say, of course, of course Kasparov wanted to win and of course everyone was cheering for him to win. But Jean Baudrillard offers a different interpretation because he says, or asks us to consider, the entire history of our relationship with technology, the entire history of our relationship with tools. And he's like, hmm, haven't we always kind of secretly wanted to improve our technologies to the point that they surpass us? Don't we want to be liberated from the toil of labor and work and the struggles of having to eat and replace that with like a pill or something to satiate us and all other little things that technology can liberate us from, liberate us from our own diseases, liberate us from our bodies. Isn't that kind of the Elon Musk type dream of just uploading our brains into some kind of supercomputer that we can live forever? Haven't we always wanted to use technology to move past who we are as humans? We look back to examples of like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in which some dude wants to bypass procreation with his wife, his cousin, really. And he does that by trying to create another being without having to go through women, without having to go through the natural process of creating humans. We've always kind of been using technology in a way, and by we, come on, we're talking about like, Europeans over the past few hundred years who've really sought to emancipate themselves from the horrors of everything natural. We have tried to really escape the natural world. We want our technology to be great. We want it to surpass us. 
So Belgerard asks, were people really happy when Kasparov defeated the computer? Wasn't there a secret desire that he would lose? So in Baudrillard's words, he says, we are trapped in a utopian vision of wanting to create the most perfect technologies, but technologies that we nevertheless can always defeat if it came down to it. And I'm going to talk about this as we go on, but today humans cannot defeat the best chess engines, but that doesn't really affect or diminish what Baudrillard is telling us here. And I'll explain why as we go on, but this type of duel, this type of challenge between humans and machines, this goes all the way back to biblical times. For those of you that know about the Christian tradition and know about Christianity might know about the story of the Tower of Babel, including other, other you know, religions that draw upon the story. But the Tower of Babel was a moment where all of God's creations, all of God's technologies as humans, created humans, apparently, were working together to create a tower that could be used to rise up to God's level. And what did God do to retaliate? God smashed the tower, split everyone up into separate languages and cultures so that they couldn't communicate with each other. They couldn't work together again to elevate themselves to God's level. Now, Baudrillard draws upon this story to say that, like, maybe we have to do the same. If we fear that our technologies are going to become too great, perhaps the solution should be to break them apart, like in the case of ChatGBT that has caused lots of people's hair to turn gray out of fear of what it'll mean for academia or for work or anything like that. Maybe the solution is to separate ChatGBT from being able to access all the data that makes it as apparently smart as it is talk about this more as we go on. Might that be a solution? Might it be that we must separate and disperse these technologies? Did this actually work for God though? Baudrillard is clear that when God did this, he was undermining his own power because what he did in that moment was make it so that people would not actually understand what he or what it was. They would erect their own ideas about what God is, therefore undermining God's superior position. Suddenly God was open for interpretation. People had different ideas, different languages to describe and understand God. So this effort to split that mass of technologies, that mass of people trying to surpass God, trying to come to God's level, ended up working against God itself. Now Kasparov was able to defeat the computer because Kasparov was sort of this split figure. In order to play chess, Kasparov doesn't just calculate chess moves like the computer does. In order to play chess, Kasparov is drawing upon intuition. All the best chess players draw upon intuition, upon strategy, upon intelligence, upon a language of the game. If you learn anything about chess, you never learn that you have to calculate every single move. The best chess players know that that's not all that they do. We tell stories to teach people about chess. You learn about tales of different openings, where they might lead, different types of end games, the conclusions of these epic battles that arrive in certain positions where the king is required to run across the entire board to save his kingdom from one single pawn. You see these battles play out and we have converted them into stories. We have never just reduced 
the game of chess or any game to a matter of pure mathematical calculation. Where would really the fun be in that? And that is what the computer does. The computer is one-dimensional in its approach to the game, whereas Kasparov draws upon an entire litany of different emotions, feelings, knowledges, understandings, stories, truths, in order to defeat the computer. Now you might be thinking, well, David, I know a little bit about chess. The best chess player in the world right now, Magnus Carlsen, could never defeat the best computer. And that's true, but it doesn't really change what Baudillard is saying. And we'll get to that in a moment. But considering the computer's reduction of the game to simple calculation, Baudillard suggests that this mirrors a broader transformation within Western culture, where people themselves and governments have become computer-like. We have begun to ignore emotion, to ignore feeling, to ignore stories and storytelling in favor of a kind of absolute perfect calculability. Baudrillard draws a connection between this and the Gulf War, you know, a war that branded itself as two equal sides combating for some just cause, when in fact that war was just a statistically perfect evisceration of Iraq and the Iraqi people. There was no war. It was a one-sided absolute destruction of a people, of a culture, very much seeing it play out today. The rhetoric of war is often used to hide the fact that war has disappeared and it has given way to a statistical perfection where people are reduced to nothing, less than human, to be hit with drones, to be hit with every other kind of surveillance mechanism to keep them in perpetual control. It is not a war where two sides make battle plans and then meet to fight it out. That's not, that's not what's going on. And when someone plays a computer in chess, the computer does not view the game that way as two combatants meeting. The computer only knows how to calculate. The computer doesn't even know that there's an opponent there. The computer doesn't have the capacity to touch, to feel, to sense, to feel anger towards the person they are playing against. And for that reason, they will always, they will always fall short in actually being a part of that thing they are superior at, that is the game itself. And in order to combat the machine's calculation perfection, its ability to calculate moves perfectly, it is in the interest of the best players if they were to sit down and try to compete against the computer, not to try to combat the computer with the best moves. If the best players tried to play the best moves against the computer, they would not stand a chance. The only chance a human would have to pose any kind of challenge to computers of today is to play suboptimal moves, moves that they know because of the stories we've told ourselves and that we understand, moves that we know will lead to draws, which let's be real. If the best chess player in the world right now, Magnus Carlsen, played against the best chess engine, arguably called Stockfish, it's not arguably called, but arguably the best chess, en chess engine, if Magnus were to defeat that chess engine, that would be newspaper worthy, of course, even if Carlsen were able to have a draw against this chess engine. That would be a great triumph for, for all of humanity. And it's something that humans can celebrate and tell stories about and contribute to, to the game of chess itself.
People will study that game, will ponder over it, will wonder about it. The chess engine, on the other hand, will go to sleep, and there will be nothing that it can then add further to it. It will not contemplate that game. It will not add it to its repository of stories about the game of chess. The game will have died the moment the game ends. But if this has not convinced you, if you think this is all pie-in-the-sky nonsense, I would add one more final point that I think is the most important, and that if a player at any game became truly unbeatable, there was no instance that where they could be beaten, the game would die. No one would play chess anymore if there was an opponent that was unbeatable. And you might think, well, certainly the best chess engine in the world is unbeatable. No human could beat it. That's only if you think about it in terms of a human playing the chess engine on an unequal footing, on an unequal battlefield. We know, if we look at the history of chess engines from Deep Blue to Stockfish to Torch to Komodo to Alpha Zero, or Torch might be under the banner of Stockfish, in any case, what we know is that these chess engines are always defeating each other. There is an endless chain of defeat ahead of every single chess engine. It will be met with another chess engine that humans have devised that will show it its limits and that will always keep the game interesting. And as we pit these machines against one another, what we are really doing is contributing not to an entire enterprise of victory and defeat. That's just one element of what makes a game a game, what makes chess chess. We would be adding to the stories of chess, understanding it, on a deeper positional level, understanding openings. We will be able to tell tales about where various openings will lead, about what positions, how they can culminate into various end games, different ways to sacrifice different pieces in certain positions to create imbalances and to create chaos. All of this will come together in the human imagination to contribute to the game itself, to keep it on an endless cycle of possibility, and that will really keep it alive and well. So in terms of other types of really adept machinery, like ChatGBT, many people are concerned about what it will do for like academia, for example. When we confront that, what we are actually confronting is not something that is creating a piece of work that it knows about, that it will contemplate and add to the history of all of humankind, or all possible knowledge about that thing that it's writing about, it will just produce that one thing and that'll be the end of it. But any given thing that any human produces within a cultural setup never exists in isolation. Its value is never purely in its isolated existence. Rather, it's how it will contribute to a broader understanding of all human knowledge. And we know that ChatGBT and other technologies like that learn by drawing from human knowledge, learn from drawing from human speech, human conduct online that it's pulling from. And as it adds stories, adds knowledges to that pool of knowledge that it itself is drawing from, humans will add to their knowledge that will then increase the computer's knowledge. We are then revealed to be, no matter what, really the conduits for all possible progression in terms of machinic progression and anything like that. We might lose chess games. Certainly we might never be able to defeat them one-on-one -on -one ever again. But that is not where the actual value of the game really lives. That's not where the actual value of any kind of challenge really lives. For Baudillard, really the point is to embrace the challenge, to even find value in losing, in demonstrating one's weakness, 
in order to then add that weakness to a repository of human understanding about human valuability, how humans are not perfect, and that is exactly what makes us human. Computers strive for perfection, and it is that perfection that will actually be their very undoing. And yeah, I mean, that's Baudrillard's kind of take on the philosophy of chess from his text screened out. You know, tell me what you think. Do you buy it? You know, are, you know, is our fear of ChatGBT really a fear that we're becoming too, like we expect students to produce like robotic type responses to essays instead of being creative? Are all of these concerns warranted? Should we be scared of the machines? You know, is Baudrillard totally, has he totally lost it? Like, is everything he says about chess totally wrong? I'd love to hear about it. If you like what I did, like, share, subscribe. And on that note, catch you later. Take care.